Hey everyone, this is Design Lota, the podcast where we talk about life as Indian designers. I'm Angie and I'm Sushi. So Sushi, how's your week going? It's been adventurous, especially playing Pictionary on Instagram Live. Uh, if you <laughs> listeners caught that, yeah, that was a first. <laughs> I enjoyed it too. You know, it did take a lot of that creative courage yeah. that we spoke about. <laughs> Something that's in the news these days is that a large number of millennials. in our country are unemployed and we make up half the country's population and it's really affecting our progress we all worked really hard to learn design but we didn't ever stop to wonder if we may not get a job right yeah uh, it's definitely heartbreaking when you have these great expectations of finally joining the workforce and then you just don't get a job unfortunately it's not that straightforward Though there's a very small number of designers in India compared to doctors or say engineers, it's still mm. a hard job to get because we're still a large number, and then it's not enough to have a degree. There's this additional requirement of having the best portfolio. Yeah, the portfolio. I think building a portfolio is something all designers love to hate. It's that one thing you really need to do. and you're really excited about doing but yeah. it's just so difficult it's hard yeah. to know what a recruiter wants to see or even if it's a recruiter <laughs> looking at your portfolio <laughs> and at the end of the day they need to see something that impresses them or you know catches their eye luckily for those of you listeners who like me struggle when it comes to showcasing your work to get a job or to find clients Angie had a chance to speak with Dutch designer and author of the unofficial portfolio design handbook, Martijn van den Broek. Yeah, I discovered Martijn through his posts about design portfolios. Uh, he wrote a very interesting series about this on Medium. It was quite insightful catching up with him uh, to talk about this. I'm sure it's going to be really useful for designers who are working on their portfolios right now or are wondering how to get started. Hello Martin, welcome to Design Lota. We're so glad you're able to join us for this episode. Uh what are you up to these days? Uh hi Angie. Uh thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. Uh today I'm actually getting everything in place to move to Paris. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to start a job in Paris, uh joining Google Chrome team. Okay. That's awesome. Um I've worked with the team before uh from Munich where I did an mm-hmm. internship. Now I'm going to start full time in Paris. I'm okay. doing a lot of paperwork and just getting everything in place. Yeah, I've never been to Paris actually, even though it's quite okay. close to Netherlands. It's it's like four hours away, but somehow I've never never went there. So I'm quite excited to also discover the city. Lots of new experiences waiting for you <laughs> in Paris. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I'm super excited. Um, So tell us your story like take us back how how did you get into design uh, to where you are today All the way when I was a kid I loved to draw and loved to draw things and when I got older this sort of turned into an interest for for using Photoshop and uh, later mm-hmm. web design and I started to do some basic HTML you know I would uh, Okay just make some fun websites for like uh I used to play a lot of video games, and then I came up with these mm. fictional uh, clans, you know. And then I would make a website using okay. some tools. So I loved to get into web design. But mm-hmm. actually, I think the point I knew I wanted to become an industrial designer—it's it's a bit of a cliche. When I saw Steve Jobs, 
presenting okay. the first iPad. Uh, <laughs> this was about eight years ago. And uh, I remember just looking at the keynote and I was like, wow, this is so cool, like seeing what a a product could do and how excited it made people, including myself. And Mm. um, I was like one of the first ones to to get a first iPad when it came out in Netherlands. Okay, okay. Wow. So, yeah, so I knew I kind of wanted to get into design, but I was a bit hesitant because okay. I, I didn't really feel I was creative. So I, mm-hmm. I didn't want sort of my future to be uh, dependent on being creative, right? Yeah, I, I had yeah. this idea of like being, being, you know, sketching all day and waiting for this one good idea to come, basically. That's mm-hmm. what I thought the designer mm-hmm. was doing. Okay. So okay. I was like, I can't rely on this seemingly, seemingly randomness, right, to, to mm-hmm. build a career mm-hmm. about. So right. this, this made me a bit hesitant. And then um, talked to some students that were doing uh, industrial design bachelors in the Netherlands. And they okay. said, well, you really don't need to be so creative. You can, mm. you, you can just like learn these tools to come up with ideas. And then I was like, okay, maybe then, then I should give it a try, yeah. uh, this, this education. So I applied for that bachelors. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy that I did after all. Okay, okay. So your bachelors is in industrial design. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Um, okay. It's it's industrial design, but I think it was more of a focus on interaction design. Okay. Um, we did a lot, a lot of Arduino things. We did a lot of a very conceptual interactions more than sort of the classical classical industrial design. So that's interesting. You know, a lot of us, especially before we get into design school, we think I'm not creative mm-hmm. creative enough. It's some it's a field for somebody who's always having all these creative ideas on a day to day basis. It's that's not really what design is all about. Exactly. I think like sometimes this idea of being a designer is also sort of romanticized in a way mm-hmm. that. That we as designers also pretend like we're doing some kind of magic, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. but if we're just honest with ourselves, you know, it's it's just like applying tools which we've been learning, right, um, right. And there's this feeling practice. like it's a club, and you know, it's it's going to. I'm not cool yeah. enough to join the club. <laughs> Absolutely, and it would be really great if everyone would feel empowered to be creative and to to make things or to to do things in their everyday life. I think everyone has that sort of in inside of them, right? This creativity. So right, right. So once you were in design school, what was that experience like? Yeah, I remember just being being very confused. Okay. <laughs> I think I think I was confused for like the first two years or so. Like, I I, I really didn't know what I was doing or what design wor- was. Okay. And uh, you know maybe it was also because of this education that wasn't really what I expected it to be, Um, that it was very, very conceptual. And we would get super broad design briefs Mm. uh, where we really had to find our own way. And I was just overwhelmed by by this feeling of not knowing what I was doing. So that was was kind of the first feeling that I remember for the early years. And how long was your bachelor course? Uh, This was three years in total. Okay. So an important, like pivotal moment for me was when I, did an internship at a, a Dutch consultancy. Okay. Um, this was after about these two years of confusion, right? And then, then I saw, okay, this is what clients ask for. This is what a designer does mm. in, in his daily life. Right. Then it just became so much easier for me to understand what I was doing and to develop more of those skills that 
could help me finally to to be successful in these kind of jobs. Then after after I finished this bachelor, I got really interested more in interaction, interaction okay. design, especially this human centered design approach, kind of originating from Scandinavia. So I basically looked at all master programs for interaction design in Europe, and then there was one one school that kept popping up. Um, at least portfolios from from people from that school. It's a school in Sweden, in the very north of Sweden. It's called Umeå Institute of Design. Right. I, I I just saw these portfolios and then kind of looking at portfolios. Then I that sort of helped me to make a decision. I just wondered what's the kind of things I want to be doing. What's the kind of projects mm. that I want to be doing. Okay. And that sort of made me want to go school in, in Sweden. So I actually took half a year off after my bachelor's and I just focused on creating a portfolio to get into the school. Okay. I just kind of try to go all in okay. on this school. Like mm. I, I didn't really see any other option than to go there. I actually ended up on a waiting list okay. uh, in the beginning. So there was like two people ahead of me and I had to wait another two months until I heard that I got in and I was just super, super happy. Wow, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So I moved there. I moved to Sweden to this very small school. It was very, very cold as well. Very dark. Okay. You know, a lot of a lot of teachers always say about the school, like you know, people are do quite well. It's just because they don't have any other distractions <laughs> in this. Okay. Place. Nothing to do. Yeah. <laughs> How the place where you are really helps you. Yeah. <laughs> focus on your work yeah yeah absolutely like we would even go to school on the weekends okay and we would just start our own okay. arduino side projects just thinking around i love the workshop would always be open even in the weekends okay so you'd always find people there it's a really nice community and um so sort of during that time of my master's i, I started to do internships which is which is quite um quite common actually for for people from that school they do one year of school mm -hmm. and then they realize okay this 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 winter is too harsh i have to leave for a year because <laughs> i can't stand another year okay so, that's a real <laughs> so reason they, that's a secret reason okay. so so then they they look for internships and um got some experience so i i moved to san francisco and later to munich right to um to do internships there and then uh, and then i found then I finished my, my education with another year of Sweden. Okay, okay. At some point during this time, you started writing about uh, portfolios. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. What made, you, what made you start writing about portfolios in particular? Yeah, so I think I started writing at the beginning of my first internship. It started when I wrote an article on medium.com um, that somehow got okay. noticed by IDEO. And uh, okay. this actually led to my first internship. And I was just so wow. surprised. That's such a big company and like they, they must have so many internship applications that they approached me, right? Um, and I didn't even yeah. send in my work yet. Um, so I was just thinking like, so this one article that I published, right, that, that basically got me onto their radar and mm. I wasn't able to achieve that with, you know, countless of portfolios that like nobody saw. Right. One article, it was about um, um, why you should document your design process. Okay. It's just my very first article. And um, mm. it, it, I think it sort of started this idea that maybe I was using my portfolio not really in the right way. I've done so many portfolios and um, I, I, I thought, you know, I just start to share my learnings online and try to mm. help others basically save all the hassle, all the time that 
I spent basically mm. figuring out some things that work and some things that don't. Um, yeah. So that actually led to, in the beginning, I just wrote one or two articles about portfolio. And as I was mm. writing, I discovered that there was so much to say about this. And mm. I discovered also kind of what I knew basically by putting all these things on paper. I think I did like 30, 35 articles. And mm -hmm. then I bundled everything together into a handbook, which is basically a summary of all the articles. I really try to encourage people not to obsess about creating a pixel perfect, you know, design portfolio, but really, you know, uh, share their thoughts about design. Mm -hmm. Basically what I did as well and how I got this first internship, just to share imperfect thoughts about design and to take people on your, on a, on your journey as mm. becoming a designer or being a designer. And uh, I, because I realized, you know, once you have people that follow you, follow your, your work, mm. um, they are the ones that really can give you really cool opportunities uh, in your career. That's so uh, cool. Like today, authenticity is like so important and uh, hard mm. to come by. I think something like writing about your design process or writing about what you're going through is uh, so valuable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, really everybody has something to say that others mm -hmm. could benefit from. And, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. quite often it's just like this, our idea of like, we, we need to have some something to say that others haven't said before. That right. makes us want to write. But it's really not true because, you know, mm. like you always bring your own perspective like you're doing with a podcast. You know, you're mm. you're sharing your sort of this Indian point of view as well. So mm. this really resonates with, you know, maybe some people from India more than other people, right? And the same for me, I guess. Like I was just a student trying to write and there are so many mm. people trying to do the same. So maybe my point of view and my struggles would help yeah. others as well. Right. And that's how yeah. I found you because I read your articles and I started reading them regularly, all your blogs about portfolios. And uh, yeah, that's how we got in touch. So I'm glad you wrote that. Yeah, that's cool. I remember your name. Like, I remember like early days of my, my articles. I was like, re like really looking at who was reading or how many. And then right. I was like, I think I saw your name pop up a couple of times. So that's, that's really cool. And uh, thanks for sticking around as well. Also, I, I sort of tried to force myself to publish every week because then it sort of, my, I would sort of outrun my own insecurity in a mm. way. Like, it's very easy to just like not publish because you think it's not perfect. Right. And then you have this like 20 drafts that aren't published. So mm. I was just like, on Saturday, Saturday, I was like, oh, I need to publish tomorrow. And then I would okay. just, I just like very quickly try to try to do something or had some draft. But I mean, this sort of um, this pace that I try to force up upon myself really helped me to cure my my perfectionism. Mm. So you set a constraint that uh, once a week, this has to go out. Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay. I did. And I wasn't always happy about that. But I think after all, uh, it after all helped me a lot to, to, to be fast and to, to publish fast as well. I think that's great. I think that helps you to get, just get it out and stop uh, obsessing over it. Which is the same thing that you say yeah. with portfolios as well, right? Don't uh, uh, Don't get bogged down with all your processing it for so long that you don't get anything yeah. out. yeah absolutely i think this is one of my most important learning from mm -hmm. from writing is that mm -hmm. it's better to, sh to share imperfect work than to not share at all right. <laughs> so right. i'm sure every article i published has spellings mistakes in them but but still like just it being there and mm. people people take something from it um compared to if it wasn't there at all right right 
Yeah. And how has the response been uh, so far with uh, all your posts on portfolios? Yeah, I've, I've I've gotten a lot of really nice responses, you know, like especially people just like um, telling me, you know, help them get a job. I think that's wow. that's really a big thing. And also, like one, I think one thing that really I remember well is when I published this handbook, mm-hmm. which is basically just a summary of everything I've done already. But then I just called it a book. Right, right. I think that really helped to to um to get it out there and then that day it published uh someone from google venture that i that i followed for a while, for a while his name is daniel burka yeah. he, he he tweeted about this handbook wow. and he wrote something nice about it so i i was just so happy about this tweet and uh, that also put it on a lot of people's uh feed twitter feed as well so a lot of people saw it that day mm. I, I was just really lucky about that that's really cool yeah why do you think designers are so reluctant to just get their portfolio out like why why are we constantly struggling to get it perfect or yeah yeah i think i think it's it can be really overwhelming the start of getting into portfolio mm-hmm. world you know there's so many tools there's so many people talking about it i think you know really not knowing where to start that's like one of the one of the biggest struggle in the beginning mm-hmm. and uh, one of my one of my ideas was to publish your portfolio on medium.com okay uh, because medium has has a cool feature where you can make a collection and you can combine posts you can add links and you can also do some custom things there mm-hmm. so and the, the great thing about medium is that it always looks great so yeah. you don't have to worry about how it looks yeah. which is one of the yeah. One of the reasons a lot of people are sort of don't know don't know how to start or can't publish mm-hmm. is, is just because they are really focused on how it should look. Yeah, yeah, uh, and yeah, right. And then like also like on medium, you really focus on the content. Mm. And I think after all, this is just the most important yeah. thing of your portfolio. You make sure you have really depth in-depth case study right and um so so sort of so that's just an idea to deal with this sort of this first struggle not knowing what platform to Mm -hmm. choose and um Mm -hmm. then also you know some people were writing me and um i sort of through that i found out that the main reason why people don't publish after all it's just because how they look at the launch right they don't launch because they look at the launch as like a Mm -hmm. finish line so they think, you know, they have to launch a portfolio and they cannot change it anymore right. later. So as a result, you know, they aim very mm. high and they set really unrealistic goals. They obsess about details before they launch. So really a lot of people don't make it there. Right, right? Right. So I think like if you don't imagine a launch with big fireworks, you know, you could just focus on one page mm. at the time. So Imagine if you would create an about page and you'd launch right. it and then you create a case study and you launch it and maybe you want to do some visual design tweaks, you launch that afterwards. So I think really just looking at it in that way, not a not a launch is something something very definite, but something that you just you just like maybe every week or every every other day you you, you do some updates and you push it right, right. to the web. Right. Uh, that would be that would be my, my okay. advice i think that's great because once you want to put your yeah. name on it uh, then you want to be really careful because otherwise you can say you know the client wasn't okay with it i had to compromise a little bit and you know whatever you have somebody else who's part of the whole uh, deal but then now it's just you and uh, you have to just you just want to get it perfect right that's yeah. really holds you back 
Yeah, it's it, it is super difficult to design something yeah, for yeah. yourself, you know, because you can just ask a client like, you know, how do you want to be seen or what are mm -hmm. your values or and then translate this into mm -hmm. something. But then you really have like knowing yourself is really difficult. So, you know, it could help asking others. But I, I think, you know, we are our worst client because we have such an emotional mm. connection to, to our work. And for some people, you know, that means that they show every little mm. project mm -hmm. that they worked on because they put so much right. time in it. So they, they, they made a painting for their grandmother <laughs> and a logo for their cousin. And maybe, maybe they yeah. also did some music. I don't know. Right. They all put it on their portfolio just in case, you know. But then just in case just results in people mm. being really confused, like, well, okay, what is this right. person about? You know, I'm not going right. to hire this person to make a painting because you know, or to do a logo because maybe the person prefers right. to do paintings, you know. It's just like really like a lot of noise mm. people add because because of right. this emotional right. connection. Whereas like on the other hand, on the other end, um, for some people, this means that they get really insecure about everything, mm. all of mm. their work, all of their projects. So they're not really satisfied about anything they made. So they actually mm. show very little work. It's like two, I think it's like two ends of a spectrum. And it's quite tricky to yeah. be somewhere in the middle where you know, okay, maybe this isn't perfect. Maybe, uh, you know, I could do better, but still, you know, to right. be on my portfolio. Right. And uh, I think, you know, the same goes with picking mm. your projects. Um, you always tend to pick the one that you think that's kind of your baby yeah. that you really love. It doesn't always mean that's the type of mm. work you want to be doing. You know, maybe, maybe somehow you had a chance to do uh, really like four logos for a client and you show all your logos, but you, but actually you just want to be UI designer and you have only one right. UI project there. It's this emotional like uh, aspect to it that, yeah, that is quite yeah. tricky i think that exercise in just uh you know deciding uh, and cutting down is the hardest part of it yeah yeah i think so too right. and uh, i think you know you just have to give yourself a number like this is how many projects that i want to have and then just like really really be, be, uh, about it. be strict about it <laughs> like wouldn't you rather have three projects that mm. every visitor mm. sees than eight projects that no one really looks at because they don't have, because they want to see all your projects within a minute. Right. So they just right. click through them. So I would rather have three projects that they, they take a minute for to just, right. to right. just look in. It's a decision you have to make. Basically imagine a visitor takes two minutes and you can pick for yourself how you want the visitor mm. to spend that time on. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, being a designer, actually getting into the shoes of, Who's looking at this portfolio? You know, what are they thinking when they're looking at this? Actually designing it in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I also had like an eye-opening moment when I did like a portfolio review where my portfolio was being reviewed and, and someone from a consultancy, he just scrolled and scrolled and he okay. never stopped scrolling on my portfolio. And it, it was kind of painful for me to see that, you know, I put all these details into yeah, know, yeah. things he didn't notice. But I mean, we, we just have to yeah. embrace this, I think, and give in that this is the reality of how people True. look at your portfolio. So in that case, why wouldn't you rather have one very long mm. page that people can just scroll versus having you know, some complicated interactions, like three second yeah. animations yeah. loading, transitions yeah. all this like it really you take time from them right. looking at your work part of the problem is also right that we don't know who exactly is looking at it like for example 
should mm. we look into uh, showing that I've worked on projects that use these technologies? Like, say, I've you know done some design for a smartwatch or something like that. Versus, you know, the, mm. here's a really research-heavy project that I did. So, you know, how do you compartmentalize? Mm. They're saying if there's some research role, then you know you should be looking. So I can't be sitting there next to them mm. saying, pick that project. That's the one that you know shows you all the research work I did. Or you know, do you think of that as a problem? or should I as a designer make the decision that you know I'm going to showcase myself as a researcher and hey here are three research related projects that I did yeah I think definitely like of course it's difficult in the beginning mm. when you don't have so many projects but uh, but really being aware of how you're perceived I think is very important to to be aware of that that you know if you're gonna put a lot of focus on your research element of a project you're going to mm. be seen more as a researcher and, um, you know, to some people, this also kind of happens implicitly how they communicate their work. This is actually like one information source right. from a right. visitor, you know, like, are you a person that does a very long project, but then really goes into detail mm. on the visual design and shows very zoomed in mockups of pixel perfect design. So this, this could mean that you're, you're really interested right. in visual design. You know, this is maybe not something that you you've done on purpose but I think it's really powerful if you have this in your own hand if you can say you know I'm a visual designer so that's why right, I want to focus right. on visual design so we need to think about you know if if you want to do this kind of work in the future and really position yourself uh, in that way yeah absolutely I think that's that's the one mm -hmm. number one thing you should you should ask yourself, what's the work you want to be doing in the future? And then that's the one, that's the work you're trying to show, at least imply towards it. Like maybe you don't yeah, have that yeah. kind of work yet. Um, like let's say you want to get into VR. Maybe you haven't mm. done VR work yet. You can do a side project starting to learn VR. You can write yeah. a blog post about VR and then at least the visitor sees, okay, this person is trying mm. to get into VR. Uh, maybe I have an open role right. in VR right. for that person. You were talking about soft skills being a differentiator. Uh, especially when you know hard skills are somewhat mm. similar across the board you want to tell us more about that yeah when you're getting into design we don't have mm -hmm. so much experience yet um, it's really going to be your soft skills that's going to make a difference so it's just because like you know companies trying to fill up junior roles and everyone kind of mm -hmm. has the same the same hard skills it's really going to be your attitude, you know, and your personality that's going to that's right. going to determine if right. a company picks you. It's not like, you know, certain attitudes or personalities are better. It's just often the case of are you showing this on your portfolio mm. or are you not? And if you have a portfolio that's very personal and uh, if, a, if a company can al already sort of get to know you through your portfolio, I think you right. really have an advantage already. Yeah, so that's why I think you know, like, like having an about me page, for example, it's like one of the most important things of your portfolio because this is really about you. This is what you're passionate about. And having your visitor have an image of you in their head when they think of your portfolio, right. I think that's, right. that's really important. When some projects, even though you've done a bunch of client projects what do you do about the non-disclosure agreement and uh, do you then talk about it in some way mm. without going into detail how do you address that i mean there's no way around there there's right, some right. things you can't show right so you can you can like replace this maybe i think first of all you should kind of know what your nda is about like what are the things you can and can't show mm -hmm. is this is this just a brand is this the is this just the client name that you can't show is it certain 
technologies you can't show. So first of all, kind of, it's a very obvious thing, but just know your NDA for very well, so, right, so right. you know exactly how to work around it. Uh, I, I think just because a project is NDA protected doesn't mean that you mm. can't show it on your portfolio. I've done internships at, right. uh, at, at Google and IDEO, and how I try to still get some kind of value out of them on my portfolio was to write an article what I learned interning mm-hmm. at IDEO and what I learned interning at Google. And this this is just like more more in an abstract way, but it's still but still if you think about yeah. it, there's a lot of things that are in there that sort of are valuable for me that otherwise a project would have would have tried to achieve as well. It's about showing, okay, I've been to these places. It's about showing I've worked in this kind of work. It's about showing yeah. that you learned a lot from it. And um, I think like if there is a project you can't show, then ask yourself, okay, the things I can't show, what are what's yeah, the purpose yeah. of showing those things, right? So so maybe like if you can't show your research part, um, how can you how can you replace yeah. that in another way? Like maybe there maybe this research component that, that you can't show in your NDA project, you can show it in another project, for example. You know, maybe maybe this client name that you can't mention, maybe you can replace it by uh, creating a fictional client name. So there, there's a lot of tricks yeah. around, basically, around your NDA. Having an NDA project doesn't mean that you can't convey the same value as yeah. your project could have conveyed. You can get a little creative about it and think of another way to show the value. Yeah, exactly. That's like, you can create a blog post, you can, you can write an article, you can just... Maybe like if you want to do a side project that kind of has mm. overlap with a project that is protected, um, that could be another way as well. But just be careful with the things you can't show. Okay, it's a great answer. Cool. Thinking about side projects, fictional projects or redesign of some existing products. Mm-hmm. I personally feel like it's not really the best way to showcase something considering, you know, there is no way you would have considered all that you need to consider mm. if you were the designer of the original product. I think I agree with you because you often see like, you know, design uh, or Nike website redesigns mm-hmm. or weather apps or iPhone redesigns. Mm-hmm. And um, I agree with you, like people, people sort of bend the rules a bit, bend the brief a bit for their own purpose, for their own benefit, so they can make something look yeah. really cool. For me, it doesn't really show problem solving skills, but, but it does show some other things like it, like it's um, redesigning an iPhone could be a great way to get noticed because, you know, everyone will share it, right? So it's, it, it could be effective in, in other ways other than like showing problem solving skills. But um, but I agree, like if you want to really make yourself valuable doing a side project, like why, why don't mm-hmm. you just go to a local restaurant or yeah, go to a local restaurant and that you love and you say like, hey, I'm a web designer trying to, trying to top up my skills. Can I just design a website for you guys for free or something like that? You, you get a realistic client and a realistic brief. Uh, maybe you won't get the exposure that you'll be getting redesigning an iPhone, but still, but still you can show your problem solving skills, right? I think it's a great idea. And there's so many people eager to tap into your skills. Some people say never, never offer your skills for free. But I think mm-hmm. if you're at the very beginning, like, why not? You, you mm-hmm. learn from it so much that yeah. it will pay off eventually as well. Um, so what other things should a designer think about uh, apart from their portfolio to get uh, noticed or get interesting work? Something that could complement our portfolio? Yeah, I, you know, from my personal experience, right? like getting this internship at IDEO, I, I realized, you know, portfolio is hardly enough to get the attention. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really 
helping to be visible on many platforms like Dribble and Medium um, and Twitter. But you know what I learned is that if you really want to sort of maximize your your reach, yeah, you should try to help people in one way or the other. Um, because people love yeah, to pay you back somehow. Because they they if, if you really give them something, uh, there are plenty of people want to give you opportunities. You know, maybe they have a client mm. project, maybe they have an internship opportunity or a job or a speaking opportunity. Mm. Um, so, so I mean, it sounds really abstract, right? Helping people. Yeah. But yeah. I think there's so many ways you could achieve it. Okay. Um, you could participate in a design community on Facebook or Slack, you know. If your name keeps popping up, people will remember you for that. And mm. People will, will love to offer you something. And then maybe you could do a side project and um, build a tool that people love to use. Or, you know, another, I think another way to get onto like a company's radar is if they, if they write an article medium and you just leave a really thoughtful comment about, you know, what, what this article brought to you and why do you think it was useful? I think, you know, that's also kind of some value you bring back to them, right? So it's really, it's sort of about giving and taking, I think this in, in its principle okay okay there's some great ideas uh, kind of not you know being a static portfolio but like it helps people see you in action when you're taking part in the community in an active way yeah yeah i think so and, and this is what's going to stick with people this is how do you remember your name it's not like they're gonna it's not like they're gonna visit your portfolio once a week and look at yeah. your work again you know as much as we would want them to <laughs> yeah you know this is probably how we imagine it to be but <laughs> so i think part of what you're saying we can can call as personal branding how important do you think is personal branding yeah yeah i think so i think you know personal branding is it's this idea of being being mindful and strategic about your online identity as a whole basically mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so i don't really think of personal branding as having a sleek beautiful logo or or um, a beautiful portfolio it's more about how you are being perceived online you know the sort of if i if i think to myself okay what are some of the names that i remember online those are the people that are just really consistent and clear Mm. online Mm. because they're easy to remember you know i'm sure you also remember uh, when when you when i ask you about an illustrator you like a couple of names pop up when i ask you about a motion designer same you know yeah yeah. so i think those are aren't the people that uh, post illustration work on dribble tweet about our cat mm. and i don't know our musician and emotion designer or medium no those are the people that just pick something and then they right. are that person on all platforms right. they're really easy to remember mm. yeah so um yeah. it's just this idea i think people try to put you in a box mm. and if they don't understand like they're just gonna forget about yeah. you yeah so it's better to take take action and to keep this in, in, in your own control, I'd say, right? Okay, that's really interesting. We usually try to get out of the box and say, I'm all of these things. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your internships at both IDEO and Google? IDEO is like one of those dream companies that all designers think about because mm. they work in so many different disciplines classic mm. design thinking that's applied so, so if you can go into that and after that also google which is another dream company that people like to sure. work for as designers so how was your experience there yeah i i felt like very mm. lucky to go to those places and um i love them both for for quite different reasons i think there are they were surprisingly different to me in terms of 
how they worked in terms mm. of their culture, especially. I think IDEO is a very extrovert company. And um, like uh, on an ordinary day, there would be, um, I don't know, airplanes fly- flying around my head <laughs> or remote helicopters. And uh, it's just so much things going on there. It's, it's, it's crazy. And it's moving really fast. Like um, things are moving really fast. So I would go to people's houses to do research and next day I would be trying to think of concepts and next day mm-hmm. we already had a client meeting. Um, mm-hmm. Things are going really fast and in small teams as well, uh, we would work okay. together. It's a very okay. collaborative nature and uh, it really inspires creativity, like just having post-its on your table, always having having these boards, you can just throw mm-hmm. out your ideas. <clears throat> so I learned a lot about like doing research and also okay. using storytelling to tell a story around my design i think like at google i got six weeks wow. to design one page uh, that went into the settings of yeah. chrome and i thought this was so much time you know i i, I remember like being ideal i would probably get you know one day for it freelancing mm-hmm. i would maybe take half a day and now i get six weeks one to design page. one <laughs> settings page and uh, i think this kind of made me see the, the difference there at google I have to think about so many other things that i never thought about it's like you know what if what if this page gets translated into uh, mm. a language with a lot of characters like yeah. how would this affect the layout for example just to name one and you know there's like different kinds of mm. visual styles for mm-hmm. buttons which ones to pick you know so many things i had to think about and um so i, I really learned be more more precise with my design decisions to think what are what sort of the consequences of picking this and why right, do I pick right. it in the first place I think the scale really uh, changes the way you think about the product especially in Google yeah um, I mean it can be quite overwhelming to think like yeah. millions of people yeah. will see the things you work on you know I, I, I remember talking about this with uh, with my colleague and and he said you know the more people you're gonna ask and the more research you'll be getting also the yeah. more perspectives you'll be getting and this is really really a challenge that it's very very easy to hmm. become more fragmented in, with your product because you want to satisfy everyone's needs because everyone is different so it's really difficult to prioritize, you know, the things which you think are really important yeah. to consider uh, when making design decisions. Um, that's sort of the biggest, for me, the biggest difference, how it impacts um, right. your day-to-day right. work, you know. Do you have any words of advice or anything you want to tell designers, especially those who are starting out and getting their portfolio uh, together? Yeah, I think, like, my advice would be to not be not be afraid to share your things online mm-hmm. and don't think that you have to wait for this moment where you're good enough to show uh you know like the best moment mm-hmm. to to show things what you're working on is right now so um there will always be people that would be interested in looking what you're working on or following your journey so that would be my 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 advice just to show share imperfect work is more important than not sharing at all <laughs> that's great i think that should be on a t-shirt cool. where can people find you online i think it's easiest to find me on twitter because i have such a difficult name 
mean that you know spelling it out is is really complicated okay cool. we'll share we'll share your um twitter id as well as i think your projects that you talked about cool thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed it too and uh, I'm, i'm looking forward to uh, also listen to future episodes And that, my friends, is how you land a job at Google. Maybe if they like you, maybe if it's right for you. Sushi, I think landing a design job at Google is great, uh, but that's not only what this episode was about. <laughs> yeah, I think what came out of all of this is showcasing authenticity. Showing your passion for design through your work can be truly rewarding in so many ways. and like you mentioned in a time when you see so much online and it's hard to tell designers work apart just mm-hmm. being yourself uh, putting yourself out there and showing you care can really make a difference yeah it's amazing how martin's blog and what he wrote uh, something that he didn't even overthink happened to be the thing that got him out there yeah i keep coming across such instances even in my own life and career mm. that you try so hard to do something and you think this is that project that's going to be the project to make your career and then you go and do some tiny little project mm-hmm. on the side without much intention for fame or glory and then that's that one tiny thing that gets noticed <laughs> yeah i think it's that tiny project that can actually be a tiny little window to your soul <laughs> sounds cute <laughs> something that i've always wondered about is how do i showcase my interest for something that i've barely touched upon but want to get into mm. Now I realize how a blog can be used as a sort of gateway. So got to start paying more attention to the blog section of my portfolio. Yeah, a blog is an amazing tool in so many ways. Uh, also, wasn't it really refreshing to see how the definition of a portfolio can be stretched and redefined? I've noticed that you do that as well. You've written blog posts when the output of the work you were doing was not so visual. So or they had ndas mm. and i think that's a cool way to really see the design without actually seeing the design and this is difficult for most of us to embrace but i also agree that our portfolios will never be perfect because we as designers are always improving so it's really necessary to just get your work out there first and then work on it little by little mm. right this has been really scary for me but now i've started putting out glimpses of my work in progress as well i'm glad you're doing that uh, how's the response more than anything surprisingly it's been useful so i get feedback and in one instance i've had people ask if they could collaborate or be a part of my work in some way and i think instagram is a great platform for doing this whole work in progress thing more intentionally and it's also maybe one way of staying connected to the people you're designing for that that's really great sushi uh, but i also think the connecting that martin was referring to uh, goes beyond just social media like observing the physical world around you finding design problems you can solve for say your local vegetable vendor or that ice cream shop down the road yeah definitely i'd rather have some real and impactful projects in my portfolio though fictional projects are <laughs> a lot of fun too these real projects may not bring in much money but when you look around with india being a developing nation there are so many real gaps and opportunities for us to really make a difference as designers yeah. 
and these are the projects through which you can really showcase those soft skills that martin was talking about like everyone has mm-hmm. a distinct sense of humor or maybe absolutely no humor uh, maybe it's curiosity or just strong convictions about certain things when these authentic yeah. things about you show in your portfolio it can really help connect with recruiters who don't necessarily know design but looking for a certain mindset in their designer you know one thing i've been struggling with since i graduated is this whole idea of personal branding it's true that people want to put you in a box and they can't really see you as an illustrator a furniture designer and a writer all at once although it's perfectly possible <laughs> i just think that's because of the attention span people have uh, especially on social media there's only so much they can process about you but i do think after like maybe 50 years in the industry when you have an established style of your own uh, you can design cat accessories one day and maybe political campaign posters the next day and no one will bat an eyelid <laughs> 50 years thanks for the optimism <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> hey listeners, how's your portfolio or personal brand coming along? Tweet to us at Design Lota and share your experience. And if you have a cool project that you would like us to showcase, tell us about it. You can subscribe to Design Lota on iTunes, Stitcher, and pretty much most places you get podcasts. As always, you can find the transcript for this episode and all the references on designlota.com. Yeah, which is our blog. Join us in our next episode where we talk to an entrepreneur who's making news in education. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah, until then. Bye. Bye.